Conway's law contends that organizations design systems that mirror their communication structures. It's therefore vital to structure teams in a way that supports both the software architecture you'd like to see, as well as the communication apparatus you'd like to have. Today, we'll address listeners' questions on how best to structure teams for managerial and organizational success. To join the conversation, follow us on Twitter at GuildmasterC, check out our blog at www.guildmasterconsulting.com blog, or subscribe to and comment on our YouTube channel. Simply search Guildmaster Consulting in quotes and you will find us. Now for our show. Welcome to Somehow We Manage, the Software Engineering Managers podcast. I'm Ashley Graham and with me I have... John Graham. And we are Guildmaster Consulting. Uh, so today we're going to actually follow up on a question that came at the end of our podcast last time. So a listener was picking up on our team topologies discussion and they were wondering where an infrastructure team fits in to that team topologies. Again, there's the platform team, there's the enabling team, and then there's the, the value stream team. Is that right? Stream aligned stream team. Stream aligned team. Same. Yeah. I, I mean, they're all value team. streams, but yeah. one is specifically aligned to products. One is aligned to internal goods. The other is aligned to internal services. Is that yes. right? Okay. Yes. All right. So, uh, yeah. What would you say to that in terms of where an infrastructure team fits? My first reaction is that it doesn't. I would say most attempts to have an infrastructure team are attempting to create some sort of internal services or keep something protected or keep something sacred and not actually accept the consequences of the team topology system. Mm -hmm. That being said, should you go through and actually arrange your organization around team topologies over time with maturity, something akin to what other people might call infrastructure might take place. Let me give an example. Yeah, yeah. So what does infrastructure do? Do they have an internal platform? Well, they might, but in many cases, they have the internal platform. So you're mm. not breaking apart your platforms correctly. It's like a monolith. Yeah. If you have just one infrastructure team, you don't have a platform. You have legacy code. Hmm. And... The idea of team topologies is you need to break apart the maintenance of that legacy code along product lines at the top, platforms, and skill sets in the middle. Another approach might be, oh, well, they're going to be our SRE team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. SRE is a skill set. Introducing an SRE team, site reliability engineering team, is the same exact thing as introducing a UX team, mm -hmm. a QA team. A PMO separate from the organization. Mm. This is fighting team topologies. These are skill sets that you want on cross functional teams. Right. You want an SRE expert on every single streamlined team, helping that team do site reliability engineering. You have these skill sets. Do, do you have site reliability engineering having kind of a, a core group or a working group or what we would call a guild? Yes, you can do that. And guilds over time with maturity might become enabling teams. If you are a small company, maybe your engineering department's 15, 15 pick, maybe you need two people who can do a little bit of project management and you probably don't have enough budget or resources to have a full-time project manager or enough work. So two people might pick up a Scrum Master certification or something like that, uh, and that can help. We, we would call that the um, embedded Mm -hmm. The embedded model. You're, mm -hmm. you're taking the skill set and you're putting it on the teams, um, but it doesn't have its own organization to report to. Over time, as you get bigger, you're going to need to issue kind of more standards and more of a community of practice around uh, how you do project management at mm -hmm. your company. 
you may even have enough resources or enough need for a full-time person. Not necessarily who's going to run around consulting with each team, but somebody to coordinate the embedded project management you already have. And so that would be the beginning of an enabling team. Okay. Um, they're okay. helping build that skill set, set standards, keep people growing, provide strategic insight into how to use a project management skills or agile skills to senior leadership. It'd so, be very similar with the site reliability engineering. It okay. can start embedded. As you need the skill set to grow, you may begin to pull off more full-time positions. These full-time positions would be in more of an enabling team, not a platform team. Everybody sees infrastructure, they think platform team, but SRE might actually look more like an enabling team. Okay. In a okay. mature organization. Okay. So basically, you know, if you have communities of practice is informally, if those become more codified or if they are needing to be full-time dedicated roles toward uh, teaching those skill sets, yes. then it would become an enabling team. Okay. So why might some people think that infrastructure is a platform team? Because infrastructure's legacy is the big question. Hmm. Uh, we get how to align everything with a product vision. Oh, we're going to have product lines or feature sets or mm -hmm. groups of logically related things that we sell. That makes sense. And then the question is like, what do we do with all this shit that we already have? Hmm. And that becomes the platform team. Uh, no, I mean, or excuse me, in the, some cases, the infrastructure yeah. team. Right. Uh, and that that just kicks the can down the road. Mm -hmm. You don't know what you're going to do with old tickets. You don't know what you're going to do with old tech debt. You don't know what you're going to do with old on-call. It just all gets inherited by this legacy team. So would the goal of an infrastructure team be to dissolve itself then in that circumstance? I can see that as being a tactic you use to get to a team topologies vision. Okay. Take some folks on who will deconstruct this and start to pass it off to your new platform teams, your new value stream aligned teams, and so on. But unless you empower them to do that, what's gonna happen is your stream aligned teams are gonna say, that's not us. No, we, we don't want that. Mm. Because a lot of these things, you basically packaged up a super fun site, right? All of your ne negative externalities, all the bad decisions you made over the past 10 years is now owned by one team and their job is to hand it out. <laughs> so if that team doesn't have the authority and like, look, we've done our best to make this maintainable, you need to now maintain it from here on out, and, and their job is to dissolve themselves, you will have that team forever because they won't be able to shed any of these responsibilities. Mm. Okay. Then what about platform teams? Like say an infrastructure team or an SRE team wanted to become the, uh, a platform. Is that sensical at all? Or what might that look like? A platform is nothing but a streamlined team who's aligned to the engineers. Right. Yeah. Are, you, are, you, are you building a platform? When you're attempting to sell a product, when you're attempting to sell something that a streamlined team might sell, they have a sales force, they have marketing, they have a product, they have um, engineers to build things, SR to help maintain and make them scalable. They have a lot of skill sets. In the case of platform teams, you need every single one of those skill sets. You're going to be internally focused. You don't necessarily need somebody making a sales commission. But if somebody isn't out there getting, you know, user stories from other engineers, then you don't have a platform team. Hmm. If you haven't built a clean and usable API, mm -hmm. you don't have a platform mm -hmm. team. Mm -hmm. um, some people may 
throw it in and hide it under the complicated subsystem team. I think that's kind of a cop out. The complicated subsystem team is its own beast. You literally need a PhD to understand the algorithms involved here. Hmm. Most people don't need that to handle their tech debt. They just built it wrong. And, and maybe they discovered later that right, they built right, it wrong. Right, right. All, all tech debt is not necessarily you, you're a bad employee. Right. You um, learned. And you, you learned. weren't able to pay it down as fast as you were learning, I guess. Yes. yes. <laughs> okay. The only other question I had is... Are, are these value stream teams not going to be creating their own APIs, you know, going the way of microservices or something like this? You have an API if you have an engineering customer and you have a UX if you have okay. somebody who wants to point and click. And that's true of either kind of team. Yeah. Um, okay. When we talk about UX inside the company, we're talking mm -hmm. about developer experience. Yeah. You can have a Rails app that serves yourself. There's mm -hmm. no reason why you can't make your employees more productive with a clean UX. Likewise, there's plenty of services that are sold where you sell the API. Mm -hmm. You talk to a third-party vendor who wants to buy from you. You give them the interface. They hit it with some sort of, you know, they hit it with right. their services. Right. You don't have to be building an API on a platform team. You don't have to be building a UX, UX on, on a, a streamlined stream. Okay. Tends to be that way, right. but it doesn't have to be that sure. way. Okay, that helps. And so in short, an infrastructure team, whether it's more aligned with the platform or an enabling team has to do with whether they're selling goods to goods and engineering services. goods and, and services. services to engineering. Are you selling what the software does? Or are you selling your skill set? Okay. Okay. You like you're like internal consultants okay. and trainers. Are you going to be helping people grow? as SREs. Mm -hmm. um, this is where that embedding really comes in handy because now somebody's in charge of how we embed SRE talent, how we embed UX talent on each of these cross-functional teams. You know, when you said that infrastructure teams should be going to fellow engineers and getting user stories, that they should be thinking in terms of sales and marketing and some of the techniques yes. of a fully cross-functional team. It sounds like in doing that is tantamount to being embedded in a team anyway, because a lot of agile programming, when you get to the client, you're trying to tighten that feedback loop and actually sit with the clients, right? So um, it makes sense that embedding SREs would happen as a, an ideal situation. Okay, this is one part of what we're actually going to talk about today. Thanks for talking through that question for our listener. We had another listener want to hear more about just breaking down teams and, and their composition more broadly. Can you tell me about some of your initial thoughts on team composition? So this is, it's all well and good if we try and break things down as we get there. But what do you do if you're in a situation where you've inherited a very large team? Either the former manager left and you had to take over, or you've just been issued a cobbled together team as part of a reorg, or you've been doing a lot of M&A and we didn't know where to put people. You have too large of a team and you need to figure out what to do with them. Uh, I think that's kind of the heart of the question here. Let's take a step back and go with what would you have done? Could you have done it perfectly? And I would cite Camille... Uh, Fournier's manager's path. Okay. She would argue that frontline needs maybe six to eight people per team. Uh, I would say that's including the manager. So hmm. seven, five to seven direct reports. And then uh, every level above that might have a team size of four to six. Okay. So three to five direct reports. So your frontline managers have five to seven. 
you can go outside of those a little bit. Um, if you're growing a team, it may be smaller. If it's a little bit bigger and the manager's pretty effective, that's it, fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the director level or senior manager, however many levels you have or need, you'll be at three to five above that. So the reason for that is your individual contributors can handle most of the individual contribution uh, amongst themselves. They'll be they'll be dealing with code, they'll be dealing with testing, they'll be dealing with clients. So you're not going to get that many escalations. You're going to get some. However, if you have managers reporting to you, then they are escalation machines, right? It's mm-hmm. just escalations that they can't handle. Mm-hmm. So a director is going to get more escalations, you would expect, mm-hmm. uh, per direct report than mm-hmm. a manager, if we define director as has managers for direct mm-hmm. reports. Okay. So we want to have kind of that rough team size, and we want to be inspired by team topologies. And I think in most cases, the first thing people need to think about is you don't necessarily... Well, there's two things that team topologies should give you an inkling on. One, you need to have a technical path as well as a people path as you split up the teams. Two, you don't want to promote your best individual contributors for the same reason. Often people will think, oh, the most senior or the person I owe the most or the person who's been most loyal. You need to think about what the roles need. Hmm. So you need people with people skills, either trained or through experience. You need people with technical skills leading up the technical path. So that's the goal. That's where you want to go. Uh, what they may look like, let's say you have 20 people and you want to split it into three teams. You may have three streamlined teams because you're kind of product oriented um, or you talk to the client a lot. You already have the skill sets embedded, but you may be a department that actually owns a skill set. Maybe you are the VP of engineering and you have 20 people reporting to you and you already see SRE forming as kind of a skill set and then uh, raw development forming as a skill set. You may decide to have to pull out that enabling team right now if you wanted to turn SRE into an enabling team. Mm-hmm. So you may have two streamlined teams and one one enabling team. And certainly you would still be thinking about how do I have the technical career path as well as the people management career path. That's all well and good. How do you actually do that? Right. You, <laughs> you have 20 one-on-ones a week. <laughs> you have 20 sources of escalations. Often these things cascade, right? Mm -hmm. The reason you have 20 direct reports is because some other person left or you're growing too fast as if there could be a thing or some (laughs) other trouble happened, right? Some Mm. other problem happened and now you have 20 direct reports. You're going to get overwhelmed really quickly. The thing that people need to remember is you have to put your oxygen mask on first before you can help your fellow passengers. (laughs) If you don't take care of yourself, you'll never get out of this mess. And while you may think, oh, I'm doing some good in the meantime for people, long term, this is bad for the company, it's bad for the team, it's bad for you. A very similar situation you can think about when COVID was starting to break out Mm -hmm. and we needed to ration all of our personal protective equipment for the doctors. Can they help people here without the personal protective equipment and do some good? Sure. But if all of our doctors die, what's the point? Right. We need to help people in the long term. Mm -hmm. Uh, So just as, and I would say that these two things are very similar, just as we do not like heroism in technology, we don't like long, long hours, we don't like overnight firefighting those are all bad signs right we don't want heroism in managers of just somebody bravely accepting all of the pain and hurt of every single direct report 
and just you know never complaining because that's not scalable and that's that's a sign that something can't grow yeah so put that mask on first that means you need to make sure you're working 40 hours or fewer you need to start dropping everything you can to make that time you may need to ration those one-on-ones and start trying to spin up people managers as fast as possible so you can start handing some of that off Mm -hmm. Um, this is going to be bumpy because you are going to definitely cause stress and drama as you do this as you what as you try to delegate as you try to delegate it's going to cause stress and drama there is a little bit of give and take ideally right we would say you have a learning organization people have been doing their management training that want to go into people management so you might have a bench that you can start pulling from of course in an emergency or I didn't think this through sort of situation, you don't have that. Could you go with like, oh, these people just seem raw talent? Uh, yeah, kind of, maybe. Um, it may be easier just to filter people out with some sort of test or challenge as if you're interviewing them. And then on the flip side, say, hey, if you want this job, I'm going to need you to complete this training as you take on these direct reports. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to do the training. Yeah. That's not only to build up their skill set or smooth out any rough spots. Mm -hmm. That's to set a precedent that in the future, if you want to be a manager, you need to complete this training first. Well, it it shows that you value learning like it's part of the role and education is part of the role. Yes. You're you're going to be expected to keep learning. And as you. Yes, that's a great point. And that's a really good way to weed out people who would be bad at management. Who don't want to have to learn. (laughs) Yeah, I I already know how to tell people what to do. Yeah. Or who you. Yeah, or who don't want to learn about best practices or other perspectives from management, what's considered management theory. Which, again, management theory, so much of it is informed by case studies and or the good stuff. Yeah. (laughs) um, Okay, okay. So that's kind of how you can get a team broken up if you're in the middle of some chaos, it sounds like. Yeah. What about people who are starting a new organization? You know, one of the things I hear is that if you're starting a new company, one of the best things you can do is think about your org chart and what you want it to look like 10 years from now. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, that's something that you even did for Guildmaster. And that that comes from the E-Myth, mm-hmm. uh, which is, I'll, I'll rank it up there with uh, how to win friends and influence people. <laughs> it has Yeah, it's quirky. charming. It's charming and quirky, <laughs> but it has some pretty unique ideas that I think are really valid. When you're founding a business, you need to play sim business. You need to be thinking as if you are building some sort of ideal organization up front. Because you'll get that wrong, mm-hmm. right? You'll yeah, still get sure. it wrong, <laughs> but you'll at least have a foundation that you can build from rather than just kind of piecing it together as you go. A lot of organizations, you can tell what evolved, right? What kind <laughs> of was tacked on and hacked together. <laughs> just like a code base. Yes, it's Conway's Law. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Of different titles and not quite clear expectations and uh, every body's role has been set as a separate case of like, well, in this case, we'll handle it this way, (laughs) which is hard to train. It causes constant friction. It's hard to scale. If you want to grow, the hardest part of growing is going to be hiring. Hmm. If you have a process by which we onboard somebody, we get them doing projects that add revenue as fast as possible. Like what we talked about last last week. Yes. Yeah then you're going to be able to hit those revenue goals because the re- the raw resource that you need to turn into features is new engineers. Mm-hmm. You need engineers to turn into feature-making machines. 
And these engineers take time to do that. Yeah. They need to be trained on your your particular code base, your culture, and everything else. If you don't have a fast way to do that, then that's going to always be your bottleneck. I guess I'm, I'm trying to figure out what to tell people who are in the in-between space between like building that ideal organization and those who are in chaos, they've inherited like a crazy team. What are some tips for like knowing when you're getting to the point where you need to maybe break up the team or delegate as well as how to avoid like just a massive reorg solution, like something a little bit more iterative and incremental. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So reorg is a rewrite. Yeah. Right. Um, And you tend to want to avoid it for the same reasons. The solution would be keeping the code base, in this case, the culture and the org, malleable. Um, Yeah, yeah, that you want to be able to not over-determine it in advance, but still build in flexibility. Yeah, same sort of keep it simple, stupid. Uh, You ain't going to need it, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. That often will happen easier in an org than a code base because nobody's... Well, there are people saying, like, but what we should have this whole other, you know, uh, department just in case. Uh, that just doesn't tend to fly as far. What I would say, most orgs are probably under-engineered rather hmm. than over-engineered. Um, how what do you, you mean by that? They don't have enough role and responsibility Structure. in place. Everybody's just kind of throwing it together as they as Wearing they many hats. Yes. They kind of inherited that from like, oh, we're a startup culture. And then they like they kept the they may, scrappiness. Yeah, there may be the, a, there may be the <laughs> scrappiness of the startup culture. Or you may be bought and have mm. three or four cultural layers on top of you yeah. of all kinds of former mergers and acquisitions. And you never, of course, uh, just like the Pope, management's infallible. So if you're a manager and your director said, there's nothing wrong, our culture's fine, when really <sighs> you're like ExxonMobil, uh, you know, AOL Time Warner at this point, and you're like, what policies do we follow? Uh, then it's, you don't know. Yeah. And it, you're in the same place. Right. Because right. It's, it's so... Whether it's a, a giant conglomerate or a scrappy startup, like the lack of clarity around roles or yeah. procedures can infect, is what yeah. you're saying. Okay. I've been thinking about it because we even started with this, I feel like, uh, in our very first podcast, The Tyranny of Structurelessness, and, and how so much of team creation and delineation is about reaching that clarity while also honoring that these roles are creative and that they um, they're going to deal with some ambiguity and we don't want a situation where it's like not my job you know yeah. <laughs> like yeah. tech debt's your job right yeah. um, so I guess are there any red flags or warning signs that a team isn't functioning as intended as it was structured to be? I, I mean, I think the warning signs are, are mostly what people intuitively find. Like, I can't ever really hit that performing stage. Constant drama, hmm. um, constant stepping on toes, mm-hmm. lack of psychological safety. Mm-hmm. There's there's tons of books and stuff on that. Yeah. On handling toxicity, I would say there's probably not many books beyond the individual contributor level, like uh, sure. the no asshole rule. Yeah. But if, you're, if you've ruled out toxicity and people still aren't getting along, then you talk about five dysfunctions of a team, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those are red flags. I would, you know, I often like the idea of a linter of, you know, just use some rules of thumb. You won't always uh, be wrong if you violate the linter. But uh, generally, it's a, a yellow flag you might want to look for. Mm. So keep those team sizes ideal and, and roughly in line with 
what Manager's Path would recommend. You can use some uh, some employee experience surveys to see who's engaged, who's not, and why. Qualitative yeah. research sure. on your own people, that sort of thing. Sure. Okay. Um, so we're coming up on time. Our our daughter. Has been, our goal is always to do this in the span of her nap, and she's been like wriggling around in there, so we might have to wrap up soon. Maybe it helped to just summarize then what we've talked about today. So we we talked a little bit about uh, infrastructure teams and where they might fall within the team topologies model. How ideally there's some embedded infrastructure or SRE. Um, skill sets within each cross-functional team, whether they're a platform team or a uh, stream-aligned team. Um, we also talked about the manager's path and the ideal size of teams and what to do when those team sizes are too large, what to do when you're starting to hit a chaotic point and not being able to maintain your workload as a manager or as a director, how to delegate. We did some light touching on that theme. What else? What else do you want people to take away from this podcast? The So we talked about the delegating and putting your mask on. That means your highest priority when you're trying to scale is to scale. Yeah. Your highest priority is break the team up so that it can continue to grow. Mm -hmm. If you're in a department and you are doing anything other than that, that's something you can delegate either hmm. to another person or to the floor hmm. per manager's tools. Start dropping everything you can. Now, I think for a lot of people, this is a little hard because they have little pet projects that give them energy. And you do need to, uh, within reason, know like, well, this gives me energy. This makes me get up in the morning. Okay, that's okay to do a little bit of that. Right. Though you do need to get used to the idea that that's going to be handed off eventually too. You're not mm -hmm. in that role anymore. Hmm. So of an individual contributor. Of an individual a, contributor. Yeah. And so it, it can help you get the energy to get through this transition, but that needs to be something that you hand off eventually too. It's okay. not yours to do. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing we touched on that I think was important, and it was kind of quickly, uh, was the heroism. Like we're not trying to create yeah. an organization of heroes. That's more of an exceptional state than a rule. You know, we don't want firefighting at, firefighting at all hours or people taking on inordinate amounts of work, not putting on their mask yeah. <laughs> before they're... Yeah. We, we all like Batman. Yeah, but, sure, but sure. But no one would argue that Gotham is safe. <laughs> if you, you're just, an ideal You're the mayor of Gotham in this situation. <laughs> Batman's existence is... It shows indication. that you failed someone. <laughs> yeah, this is the center will not hold. Uh, okay. Uh, well, I, I really appreciate this conversation, and we'll talk more about structuring teams. I think this is a really nice entry into it and uh, hopefully helpful to the two listeners who had questions. Um, just as a reminder, if you like what you heard today, you can write us at hi at guildmasterconsulting.com with your thoughts and also ask questions for future podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at guildmasterc or check out our blog at www www.guildmasterconsulting.com slash blog. We are on a mission to try and make jobs suck less. We need your help. So even if you like this content and want to hear more about it, don't just like it. Share it. Get it out there. Yeah. We need your help. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.